Well, there is this deep and pressing need, this deep and pressing need that has prompted our sense of a need for this series. You may remember if you were with us several weeks ago toward the beginning of September as we began this series with the story of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. He's in the midst of talking with her about drink and if she can give him a drink or if he can give, give her a drink. And in the midst of that moment, he not only senses, but he sees her weariness. He sees her fatigue. He sees her story. He sees her soul. Just as he sees the story and the soul of each and every single person in this room. And in the midst of that conversation, Jesus said to her, if you had known the one you were speaking with, and if you had known the gift of God that I could give you, you would have asked me, and I would have caused a spring of living water to burst forth from your soul, satiating your soul, welling up to eternal life. The word that we've used uh, as the title of this series is the word renew, which literally means new again. Jesus was promising her that in the midst of whatever was going on in her life, whatever she'd experienced, whatever she was struggling with, she could be made new again by him. And that deep sense of need for renewal, I think we feel that too. After over 20 months in the midst of this pandemic, and all the other things that have gone on in these months together, there is this deep and widespread sense of longing for renewal. Longing for renewal. And, 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 and Jesus is promising, as he sees our story and sees our soul, that he can do something to meet that need, to bring forth a spring of renewal from our soul. And this is rooted in that deep longing that we have that was actually in place long before this pandemic. A deep and widespread longing, I think, for joy. C.S. Lewis talked about this longing for joy as a longing for heaven. A longing with inside each and every single one of us that is almost an evidence of something beyond us. It is a deep and widespread longing of something that can only be satiated by something beyond this life. And Jesus sort of agreed with that. Jesus sort of agreed with that. Something that we could only experience beyond this life. And yet Jesus said the reason why he came was to bring that thing that we long for beyond this life into this life. Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I came so that you might have abundant life, the life that is truly life. Jesus said, I came so that your joy might be made complete. And so in Jesus, the offer of joy, the deep longing of our soul, is actually already on the table. But how do we partake of it? How do we participate with it? Is, is, the, is the answer only the simple Sunday school answer of Jesus, which is true, 
Or are there things that we can do to engage and to cultivate this joy in our lives as well? There are. And perhaps chief among those things is the practice that we're going to explore together today. And I think it's appropriate, as Angie alluded to a moment ago, that Paul's letter to the Philippians is the place that is prompting our exploration of this practice. Because Paul's letter to the Philippians is threaded together by joy. And it is strange when you think of it, because the letter was written from prison, in the midst of a time of great suffering and and sadness, and yet it's threaded together by joy. The words joy or rejoicing or joyous or joyful or some variation of the word joy is used by Paul at least 16 times in this very short four-chapter letter. Why? Because Paul loves these people. Because Paul is deeply thankful for these people. But also even more than that, because Paul has discovered a secret, he says. All of us like to discover secrets, right? We kind of feel like we're in on something. Well, Paul's trying to let us in on something. Something that he's been alluding to throughout each and every sentence of this letter. A deep secret that he is aware of that is helping him tap into that joy. You remember that famous line we heard a moment ago? I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. And if we were to consider the broader context of him saying that in this letter, what we could take some liberty with to say here is that Paul is saying he's learned the the secret of experiencing God's ever-humming joy in his life no matter what he's going through, whether in plenty or in want, whether well-fed or hungry, whether he's celebrating or suffering, no matter what he's going through, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yes. And how? Does this just happen? Does this just happen when we say yes to Jesus? Or are there tips and tricks along the way that we can do to cultivate this joy, this permeating sense of joy and gladness in our lives? There are. And I believe that Paul is summing up one of the most important practices, one of the most important keys to this, right here in the passage we heard a moment ago. Rejoice, Paul says, or have joy in all things. I will say it again, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. By the way, that word gentleness there in English doesn't quite capture all that's going on in the Greek. A a more accurate translation might be, let your magnanimous spirit be evident to all. Or let your spirit of generosity, your posture of generosity toward others be evident to all. Couldn't we use a little more of that these days? A little more generosity of spirit. A little more sense of being magnanimous with one another. We could use a little bit more of that in our relationship. Paul says, let your generosity of spirit be evident in every relationship. Let your generosity of spirit be evident to all. The Lord is near, Paul says. By the way, that's 
the main reason we can access the joy of Jesus no matter what's going on in our life. Because the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul says, and I find that a little difficult. This is a life project for me. Because it seems like there's so many things to be anxious about. But Paul says in the midst of this sense of humming joy and contentment, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and there's the key idea there, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you see it? Did you hear it? There's the how. The how behind Paul's secret. There's the how behind Paul's secret of being content in all circumstances. There's, there's the practice behind the peace of God that transcends all understanding that is pervading Paul's life in Christ Jesus. There's the secret. The secret practice that Paul is holding up in his life to access an ever sense of humming joy in Jesus. Paul was able to cultivate joy in Christ on a daily basis because on a daily basis he practiced the renewing practice of gratitude. And so can we. So can we. And this is, again, a truth that is backed up not only by Scripture again and again and again, as Peter Scazzaro reminds us in the meditation on the front of your worship guide, but also by science and modern research. Some of you know that in her book, Daring Greatly, uh, the sociologist Brene Brown has said that many of us actually ward off joy in our lives because we are protecting ourselves against it in some way. We are foreboding joy. And she says this is kind of a survival instinct that we engage in because maybe we've had times in our life where we were joyful, something good happened, we were kind of living in that moment of joy, and then before you know it, and we, we've experienced this again and again, the, the joy was gone. Something happened and it, it unraveled it and we found ourselves in a totally different season and it was just soul crushing. And so we've learned over time as a kind of a survival instinct to forebode joy. To, to kind of brace ourselves against joy, not let it fully in, because we're not sure it's going to fully stay. Brene Brown says we do this in our lives. But she said, there is also an antidote that she discovered in her research to foreboding joy. She said, the antidote to foreboding joy is gratitude. In fact, she says that in her extensive research with thousands and thousands of people, every single person she talked to that expressed a genuine ability to be open to joy also talked with her about the importance of gratitude. Which is why Brown says she made a commitment that in her life and research and teaching, she would never again talk about joy without also talking about the practice of of gratitude because they are absolutely intertwined. Some of you read and, and, and listen to Anne Voskamp. Uh, I've read some of her books and blogs and things like this. She wrote a great book, very poetically written 
called 1,000 Gifts, where she talks about cultivating joy and gratitude and really this sense of doing that emerged during a battle with cancer. But she talks about this thing that Brene Brown's talking about here, this sense of joy and gratitude coming together and how she sees it in Scripture. And one of the examples she gave uh, of this is in the Lord's table. You know, uh, here, many of us often refer to what we do at the Lord's table as um, communion or the Lord's Supper. Uh, But many Christians throughout history have called it the Eucharist. And the the idea of Eucharist comes from this word Eucharisteo, which is the idea of thanksgiving. The table of our Lord is always meant to be a table of thanksgiving. Whenever the Last Supper is described or alluded to in Scripture, there's always a word of thanks that's connected with it. So Jesus says, if you look at the story about the Last Supper, that he takes the bread and then he, do you remember, gives thanks and then he breaks it. Jesus takes the cup, and then, before he does anything else, he gives thanks, and then he pours it. Remember that next week when we're celebrating Thanksgiving together. The root word for Eucharisteo, the word Thanksgiving, or Eucharist, is also, though, charis, which means grace. Where there is great God, there is grace, remember? For there is grace, there is gratitude. Jesus took the bread, and he saw in the bread that it was grace. Jesus took the bread, and he saw in the bread that it was a gift. Jesus took the bread, and he saw what it was, and in that moment he said, this is a gift, and I give thanks for it. And there's more. Eucharisteo, which means thanksgiving, both envelops the Greek word for grace and its derivative, kara. The Greek word charis means grace, and the Greek word kara means joy. The table of our Lord is meant to be a table of grace. The table of our Lord is meant to be a table of joy. Jesus offers us grace. Jesus offers us joy. That's why he came. Which is one of the most effective ways we can participate in it. One of the most practical ways we can participate in the joy in the life of Jesus is thanksgiving. Eucharisteo. The practice of renewing gratitude. And that's what we're talking about today. Joy and gratitude are intertwined in the Christ life. If you're longing for a life of joy in Christ, you have to nurture a life of gratitude with Christ. That's how it works. They're intertwined. One of my professors at Truett Seminary Uh, Dr. Terry York, who is also a a hymn writer, and in fact, if you were to look in the hymnal, you'd find several hymns written by him, the most famous one, Worthy of of Worship. We were having a conversation um, one time about church and architecture and space, and this this might appeal to the architects or the builders in the room. And he he offered me this phrase that, that I've never quite forgotten. The phrase was, he said, you build your space, and then your space builds you. You build your space, and then your space builds you. So you, you inc- create the environment of your life in various kinds of ways, 
And then you inhabit that space and that space shapes your life. So, so, so many of you who, who were here during the, the renovation before I came as pastor may have experienced that with the Welcome Center. You build your space and then your space builds you. It's true. And it's also true of other practices in our lives. We, we, we intentionally, with intentionality, begin to engage in certain kinds of practices and habits. We do that on purpose. And then those practices and habits shape our lives. We, we shape the way we live our lives. And then the way we live our lives shapes us. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's how it works. And that's how it works with joy and gratitude as well. One Jesuit priest said this, It is not joy that makes us grateful, but gratitude that makes us joyful. This is the secret to accessing the joy and the contentment that Paul describes for us in this letter of joy. And we, we, we practice thanksgiving, and before we know it, we're living thankful lives. We practice gratitude on a regular daily basis, and before we know it, we're living grateful lives. We live into the practice of joy, we lean into it intentionally, and before we know it, the presence of joy is beginning to hum more often in our lives. There's actually a, an old Jewish song, ancient Jewish song, that has been a part of Passover celebrations that are meant to remind us of this. And within the song, there's this related word, this word related to thanksgiving. It's a concept that's related to thanksgiving as well. And they repeat it over and over and over again. And the word is degenu. Degenu. It, it, it means roughly, it is enough. And in fact, I'm going to read some of the song for you. And when you hear me say degenu, I'd like for you to then say with me, it is enough. Okay? So let's practice that. Degenu. It is enough. Deyanu, it is enough. Well, here's the song. If God had brought us out of Egypt, Deyanu, actually, it would have been enough, is, 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 what it, is what he says. So we'll say, it would have been enough. It would have been enough. If God had split the sea for us, Deyanu, it would have been enough. If God had provided for our needs in the wilderness for 40 years, Deyanu, it would have been enough. If God had fed us manna, Deyanu, it would have been enough. If God had given us Shabbat, Deyanu, it would have been enough. If God had led us to Mount Sinai, Deyanu, it would have been enough. If God had given us the Torah, Deyanu, it would have been enough. And the point is, if God had only given us each and every one of these things on their own, it would have been enough. Enough for gratitude. Enough for thanksgiving. Enough for joy. <laughs> and yet, in addition to every single one of those things, God gave the other things. In addition to everything that would have been enough, God gave more than enough. There was always more than enough. And this is a huge part of the secret Paul is talking about as well. Nurturing gratitude for what we have Realizing that it's not just grace, but it is enough. It's more than enough. 
This sense of we don't have enough, we don't have enough, is often what perpetuates this sense of emptiness and ingratitude in our lives, resentment in our lives, entitlement in our lives. Gratitude helps us let go of that entitlement. Richard Rohr has said that all great spirituality is ultimately about letting go. Letting go of our entitlement. Letting go of our resentment. Learning to let go of every urge or sensibility that says what we have isn't enough. What we are isn't enough. Meister Eckhart, another great spiritual teacher, has said that if the only prayer you said your whole life was thank you, that would be sufficient. That would be more than enough. And I've been exploring this lately, and I have this sense that that may just be true. In recent days, I've, I've tried to be, maybe some of you have done this as well, People often do this in November, like 30 days of Thanksgiving or something like that. What I've been trying to do in recent days, even before November, was not to take good moments or good things or good people for granted. So if if I have a really great moment with my kids, if it's a funny moment, a meaningful moment, just a warm moment, some kind of great moment with my kids... Before I leave that moment, I I turn to God and I say, thank you. Thank you for that moment with my kids. Thank you for that. I know, God, that was a gift from you. Thank you for that gift. God, thank you. Thank you. If I have a good moment with Christy, or one of my friends, or or colleagues, or co-workers, or even a stranger, or a neighbor, or, or, or sometimes even more importantly, someone that I know might have some reason to be upset with me. But, but I, I encounter them and we have a good moment together. I turn from that moment and I say, God, thank you for that gift. God, thank you for the gift of that good moment with, with that person. I know that was a gift. Day you knew it was enough. If something happens in worship in one of these moments, something that is said or shared or a song that is sung, or in the midst of a prayer, or, or even reading a book, or, or something good's going on, and, and I, it's just kind of a nice moment in nature or, or in life, I try to pause and say, Oh God, I know that was a gift. Every moment won't be like that moment. I know that. But that moment, that was a gift. Thank you, God, for that moment. That was more than I deserve. That was more than enough. This is one way that we can practice gratitude. There are lots of ways we can practice gratitude. You can write a letter to someone that you're grateful for, or you can simply engage in the act of keeping a gratitude journal. And that's something we're going to kind of try to start up here in this moment, because naming things can be so powerful. Last week, at the end of worship together, we named our losses, our grief. This week, I want us to take some time to name our gratitude. What are the people, the gifts, the experiences, the circumstances, the resources, the moments, 
in your life that right now you'd like to stop and say, oh, oh God, oh, that was a gift. More than enough, thanks be to God. That was a moment of joy, day anew. Enough. More than enough. Are there moments? Are there people? Are there experiences that you're grateful for right now? What I want you to do is, there's blank space on the back of that insert in your worship guide. You should be able to reach out and grab something to write on. And in these moments before you hear the song, there'll be some music to fill the space. And I'd like for you to take a couple of minutes and begin to journal your gratitude. Don't focus on the things you're not grateful for. Don't forebode joy. But begin to take a moment to name some of the things, even from the past week, the people, the circumstances, the experiences, the encounters. Take some time to turn to God in thanksgiving and offer prayers of gratitude.